What's up, Surf Splendor listeners? Welcome to the show. This is your host, David Scales. Glad to have you back for an all-new episode of Surf News with my co-host and buddy, Scott Bass. Um, slight, Slightly different format today. We're doing kind of the standard Surf News, and then I'm going to tack on a little interview at the end of the show that Scott did with Maurice Cole about his relationship with Tom Curran and specifically um, a board that he made for Tom Curran that became famous by a photo that almost everybody has seen of Tom Curran doing a cutback, I think, in 1991 at Backdoor, photo by Tom Survey. Um, real classic, I mean, the classic cutback photo. And Maurice built that board for Tom, and um, that board is going up for auction this weekend at the California vintage surf auction i think it's the vintage auction.com is the website and scott's responsible for curating all those boards and um other stuff involved with the auction so that's available maurice is going to talk about that and we're going to talk surf news before that so enjoy the show i'll be back at the end to sign us off and uh i think that's it all right enjoy Yeah, guy. Turn the light. Blue light in your face. Blue light in my face. There you go. Yeah, Spin the guy. mic. Yeah, guy. Hell yeah. A little Baba O'Reilly for you, David. Love it. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. That's the best opening song you've ever used. Nice. It really is. Uh, Baba O'Reilly, The Who. And um, from the album Who's Next, a rock album. All Love of this it. according to iTunes. Oh, okay. Um, it is Tuesday. You're listening to Down the Line Surf Talk Radio. Scott Bass with you. David Lee Scales next to me here, our um, fearless co-host. And we've got a great show for you. We've got a lot to talk about. Broadcasting live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, surfingheritage.org. That's correct, sir. And live to tape. Live? Not technically. It doesn't broadcast live, but it's live to tape. We don't edit. Right. Live to tape. Yeah. That's awfully technical. Live to digital, actually, not even live to tape. <laughs> live to live, analog. Live to a hard drive. Um, it is Tuesday. Yes. It is the 22nd of September in the year 2015. And uh, Southern California is going through another muggy, warm, hot uh, September day here. Flat. It's- Flat. Not looking good for a long time either. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't looked at the forecast. Yeah, no, I study that stuff. Yeah, you do. It's not, not looking good. Bummer. For the next week and a half. Well, we got, we got a decent little run, so can't complain too yeah. much. That's good to get some work in. It's just, you know, when you don't surf every day and you get to be um, a little older, longer in tooth, you lose a little bit. You know, you, you got to find something else to take the place of the surf, the physical education. That's, you absolutely do. Yoga yeah. has uh, factored into our lives in recent years more prominently. That's right. But, hey, I've got some breaking news, dude. Break it. Breaking right here. news. Let's hear it. That you're not going to hear anywhere else, but right here, right now. Hit me. I have learned through a well-placed insider that the WSL is... Broadening its reach and going into uh, the entertainment industry, they've gone so far as to create an entertainment division, and their first project is a documentary film. They've hired Rory Kennedy, who made 
Ethel, which is a, uh, an acclaimed documentary on Ethel Kennedy, her mother, okay. who was the wife of Robert F. Kennedy. Okay. Uh, she also did Last Days in Vietnam. She's um, you know multiple Emmy winner, renowned documentarian, Rory Kennedy. Her first subject for the WSL, maybe her only subject, her documentary is based on Laird Hamilton. So the WSL is doing a mainstream documentary to be shown to the masses, and they've chosen Laird Hamilton as their uh, subject matter for their first documentary. Interesting. Yes. So this will be like wide release in theaters and all that. It'll just be produced by the WSL. You know, it may be... um, like PBS or sure. who knows where they, they, they will distribute it and how yeah. they will distribute it. But this, uh, you know, award-winning yeah. documentarian is going to be making the film. And, you know, I, you know, I found out about this today and I thought to myself, that sounds like the Laird story is not that intriguing to me. Now, right. we're a little bit close to it because we know, like, my mom might be interested in it, you know, and that's what they're making this for. They're making this for people that don't know the story of Laird, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then I say to myself, as a filmmaker or a story, a guy that likes a good story, I guess I could say, but I have made a document documentary film, is what is the conflict here? Exactly. That's Where is thinking. the conflict in Laird? You know, it's and just so you know, I've been told that Rory Kennedy lives in the same sort of community up there in that Malibu area. Sure. As Laird. So she she's not a surfer, but she, you know, understands some of the um, community. Right. And, um, and some of the culture. She gets it, I guess. We'll see. Um, but yeah, the conflict. Where's the conflict? So I say to myself, okay, there's obviously, there's, you know, Howley Hawaiian conflict that Laird had to deal with as a kid. You know, he was like the only toehead, the only blonde haired kid in his class, probably him and his, you know, maybe one other. Yeah. So there's that conflict, right? Is that big enough to maybe develop into the Hawaiian versus, you know, imperial colonial North America? No, that's not the story of his life. You know, that's a moment in his childhood. But you're right. There's no ending to this story. It's this on Laird's a fascinating figure, but he's a he's had a few accomplishments. There's no big, you know, like you said, no big conflict, no big story arc. Yeah. No big kind of third act that takes place. It's just this continual, gradual, you know, progression of improving his life, basically, which is all great. He's a fascinating figure. But there's no end to it yet. Right. And so I think to myself, okay, there's no real big conflict. There's nothing that sticks out like, you know, like a sore thumb. Like, okay, that's what they're going to base the story arc around. And so then I say to myself, okay, so we've got this little Howley Hawaiian um, conflict that you, you know, that you could touch on. You also have a father-son conflict, perhaps. I'm assuming a lot here. I don't, you know, but because Bill Hamilton isn't his real father, you know, so maybe Rory Kennedy can look into that and maybe even delve into finding Laird Hamilton's real father. That would be a good storyline. Yeah. And then there's also, um, you know, Laird sort of against the establishment. It's funny, the WSL choosing this or Rory presenting Laird Hamilton as a subject to the WSL Laird's not really, if anything, he's been against professional surfing. He hasn't necessarily been a proponent of it. Now, again, this is the WSL entertainment division, so it doesn't really matter. You know, it's not like 
Yeah. They have to prop up the WSL sport division or whatever with all of their entertainment um, productions. So there's a few small conflicts that you could sort of you could base the storyline on a bunch of small conflicts that then create this person that we now know as Laird. You know the uh, you know the the Beast Slayer. You know this larger than life. You know studly figure that conquers hundred hundred feet waves, you know. So there's and so there's probably a few more of those little conflicts, right, that she yeah. could excavate that we don't even know about. I mean, you could even say there could be um, husband wife conflicts based on you've got these two alpha athletes and Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton. What's that like around you know, so but but it didn't strike me as like the most fascinating um Figure. Subject matter yeah, that you like for me, I immediately go, Well, why don't you tell the Andy Iron story? You know, that's the story, right, that needs to get told, right? Which then I find out there's one in the works already, okay? Yeah, that um, Teton Gravity, the company that does a lot of really good eye candy stuff in the snow world and in the climbing world and probably in the surf world, too. In fact, yeah, I know they've done a bunch of surf stuff. So, Teton Gravity Productions has um, that film in the works. But from what I understand, there was a bunch of production companies and, um, you know, they chose Teton Gravity. I'm concerned about that, not knowing anything about it, but I'm just concerned that it's going to be a little glossy and not like that's that story needs to be done correctly, well, which who's is behind the project. Well, I understand that, you know, like um, Lindy Irons is you got to like Lindy Irons is heavily involved in it. Got it. And so. That scares me a little bit. Yeah. Because you sense that it's going to be like this glossed over cover up. Um, Got to protect the, the kid. Don't want Axel to know. You know, like, I just wish they'd, they're, as you and I have discussed many times, complete tragedy. Can't we make something good of this? And mm-hmm. I think we can um, if we tell the real story. And maybe they will. I hope they will. We don't know right. that they're not going to. But I just get the sense that. You know, with Lindsay's just too close to it, I think. You need to almost remove her from it to do it yeah. right. But again, just my opinion, and, and uh, who am I but just a guy behind a microphone here? And maybe that's why WSL steered away from that story is they don't want to ruffle any feathers. You know, the Laird story's safe. There's no major sponsors involved with Laird that, you know, um, sponsor contests and that sort of thing. So maybe all that stuff factors in. Yeah, well, you know, what would be a good story to tell? I mean, if you are the WSL Entertainment Division and you're now the vice president of WSL Entertainment and you're like, what's, what's our first project? Let's do Laird. You know, like, is yeah. that what you say to yourself? Or if you do, yeah. I mean, obviously they don't give a crap about the core audience. Not that we wouldn't be interested in a great Laird documentary, because sure. I would. Yeah. But it makes sense to them to attack the mainstream audience. That's, and that's what I would do if I was the vice president, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, that's your market. You right. know, we're not going to please Scott and David's little, you know, high performance yeah, and, and highly niche. sensitive, yeah. you know, totally. Well, that's interesting. Do you have any idea? Is it already in production or is it, what stage is it at? I don't know more than, than okay. really what I've told you. Okay. Um, I'm sure so that- maybe the thing could just wash out and it won't happen. I don't know, right. but, but uh, fly and wall, you know, I found out some information. So I thought I'd break the story here. So when we well see done. it in other places, we'll, we can claim it. We can go Bronco de Souza and just throw our hands in the air. <laughs> <laughs> we um broken a few stories here over the last couple of years. 
you broke the Firewire Kelly Slater deal at some point, which was cool. Yeah. Um, there's another documentary, actually, that I just saw the advertisement for, which is on – it's a Nathan Fletcher biopic. Did you see this? It's called Heavy Water. Um, I guess it's premiering at the San Sebastian Film Festival, which is later this month, I think the 25th. And um, it's made by Michael Oblowitz, I think is his name. He did Sea of Darkness, which is that – infamous surf film about the drug trade that has never been released people have seen it but it's never been released it also premiered at this festival so can anyone see it like how do i see sea of darkness you can't find it i'm telling part of its legend i'm not going to watch heavy water because i can't see sea of darkness i need to see sea of darkness i think the thing got squashed because it like it's all about the drug trade and quicksilver's name was thrown around in the thing and lawyers got involved i think lawyers got involved well I'm sorry. I, I want to support Michael's efforts here, but I need to see Sea of yeah. Darkness. So who's got the black market copy? And please go put it out on the dark net so we can... Exactly. Yeah. No, somebody them. send us the link to that because yeah. I would love to see it as well. I've heard a lot about it and it's legend only grows, you know, because nobody has That's seen it. the story we want to see. Yeah. Right? Yep. So there's a couple of documents. What other story would you want the WSL Entertainment Division to excavate? What about like Mickey Dora? You know, that would a lot, be a, a good one. Been there, written. Yeah, and there's been numerous scripts and stuff, and you know that Leo DiCaprio was thrown around. And, oh, I didn't and, know. That. Yeah, there was in the past, you know, like ten years ago or something. There okay. was there was talk of Hollywood take tackling that one. That one would be a really cool one. I don't know um, how mainstream would play. You know, I guess it would. I mean, there's a there's a ton of themes in there. That just makes sense. You know, there's um, fraud and right. Um, you know, man against society, and yeah. there's a bunch of cool stuff in there for sure. The Mickey Dora one's a great one. Bunker, maybe mm, not big enough. I don't. I've always kind of said, what's the story there? A rich guy does drugs and dies. You know, boring. Like, it, it, what? Uh, there's probably a lot of nuance in that. I mean, that is a. You say it I don't like know. That, but. Look, I don't know Bunker Spreckle's story like yeah. deeply. Like, tell me what what was the what did he do besides. Spend a bunch of money and rave around the world and 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 have a like party lifestyle until he died at twenty six or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's but, my point. I don't yeah. think there is much. Yeah, maybe yeah, there know. is. You what know? story would you like to see? Um, well, I've always been fascinated with the with the you know why did you quit surfing? You mm-hmm. know, now I don't know that wouldn't fly mainstream wise. That's yeah. more like for just you and 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 the you know the subculture to kind of chew on like it fascinates me as a guy who's semi-addicted to surfing you know how can you stop how do you stop it's amazing to me that i hear people like you know a lot of guys like carl ekstrom just stopped you know like mike hinson just stopped like these guys just stopped you know like how do you stop yeah not not casual surfers who stop but like people who have devoted their life to it. david eggers just stopped right you know great surfer just stopped like i don't that, that, that to me is interesting you know like it's very interesting um, I want to hear the story of Johnny Utah, who goes undercover. <laughs> I want to see that. Robs banks. I was. With- I saw a movie, and the trailer came on at the movie theater, and I was got to admit, I was sort of fascinated by it. Fascinating character. I mean, this the special effects. I mean, are Agreed. insane. Yeah, I mean, the Bodhi character is awesome. I'm, I think you're pulling my chain. I'm not a big fan of the, <laughs> the story or the plot, but uh, the special effects could be pretty cool. Um. Do you want to recap lowers real quick? We yeah. touched on it last yes, last I week. Yes, uh, So when we when we recapped the majority of the event last week, there was only one day left to run. That day ran. Uh, Mick Fanning won the event. Underwhelming. Carissa Moore won the women's side. What was underwhelming about the final day for you? Uh, the waves were sort of lackluster. Yeah. 
Um, I guess because Kelly wasn't involved, it's sort of... The, the matchup, the, the Gabe-Fanning matchup is a good one. You've got dark, you know, white hat, dark hat. Yeah. Good versus evil. Goofy foot versus regular. Yeah. Aerials versus uber power smooth fast. Sure. Um, but I think the waves sort of let us down a little bit. Sure. The waves definitely did. They weren't as exciting as they were previously yeah. earlier in the week. That's why it was underwhelming to me is that I was just kind of like, eh, I didn't, I wasn't moved to like run home and watch it. I'm like, oh, I'll just right. heat analyze or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, I saw an interesting, um, interesting article on beach grit that sums up a lot of what the internet is saying, you know, and the guy who wrote it, um, entitled it the Mick Fanning complex. And so the argument for a lot of people is that Mick Fanning's boring, you know, Chas Smith got punched in the face for saying it or whatever. in um, in his book and Mick Fanning surfs the same way that he surfed 10 and 15 years ago, maybe to a more impressive degree, but he's basically doing the same surfing. So it's not exciting and it isn't the most difficult style of surfing. I'll give you a quote out of this article. It says the Hurley pro was the most cringeworthy contest in recent history. The trend of judges to stray away from risky progressive surfing is of the greatest concern to the future of our sport. Meaning, you got Felipe versus Adriana de Souza. Felipe's flinging these spinning airs on maybe their smaller waves, but it's incredibly difficult to do. Adriano, on the other hand, bashes the lip a couple of times and wins the heat, you know? And so this the writer of this article is questioning all of that. What are your thoughts? I think I think he's I think it's wise to question this. I think this is a great point. I think that everybody feels not everybody, but a majority of the people feel like the judging was questionable in this mm-hmm. event. Um, you know, it's just so subjective. Felipe absolutely rips. He does these incredible errors. We've seen him so many times. You could almost say that you could you could say that he's boring, right? In the same vein that that uh, McFanning is boring because they're kind of doing the same thing. They are semi predictable. Um, it's never been more apparent to me this dilemma in judging where. The surfer kind of gets judged against their own ability. You know, Felipe, he does those airs and he gets a six. And it's like, yeah, but if Glenn Hall would have got that wave and done those, they would have given him a 10. No yeah. joke. And then Mick Fanning, you know, he does what he d- or Adriano, let's say, in that heat. He does what he does. But how is it compared to how he's previously done it? Well, it's slightly better. So it's an eight or it's slightly worse. So it's a five. But it's not really... There's no definitive objective line that we're scoring against. And I don't know. It just became glaringly obvious in waist high rippable waves. I, I kind of blame trestles a little bit. You yeah. know, I, I feel like if you hold an event in eight to 12 foot French beach break or Portugal beach break yeah. where the wave becomes a part of the situation, it where really the wave does. is a part of the character and of the drama and of the dilemma that's unfolding before us, it makes a huge difference. And even... Even perfect trestles is kind of getting boring to watch. It's yeah. quite predictable. So I think the key here is we need to make the surfers uncomfortable. They can't just be like, yeah, no problem. I'm going to go out there and do 15 air reverses. Or I'm McFanning. I'm going to go out there and rip the crap out of it. Super smooth, you know, smooth style. Tons of speed. Big, gouging, perfect hacks. You know, like form-worthy. You know, you could make a WSL patch out of the turns he does. Right. Make it the logo. So the the wave, I'm... I'm I feel like that's part of the issue here. Yeah, I agree. Is that 
wouldn't it be better if at every event we were we were going, well, what's going to happen? We don't know because the waves are gnarly. Right. And I think that's part of the equation. And at a big heaving beach break like that, there's not a lot of different ways to surf that wave. Whether you're Mick Fanning or Felipe, there's really only one way that you can surf that wave. Take off the deepest, get the biggest barrel, and maybe you get an opportunity at the end section. But there's a lot less subjectivity, I would say, there. Yeah, I mean, if you do an aerial at the beginning of a of an eight-foot barreling <laughs> French tube, you know, wow. Yeah, Ten exactly. right away, even if you don't make it 4.17 gate, belly yeah, gate, hashtag right. belly gate. Right. Um, you know, so I just think that that's a big part of it is is – the waves have to be the WSL needs to start searching for situations where the waves are a part of the storyline. Totally. And I think this is not to say that Scott and I don't like watching surfing at trestles because we do. It's just, we're really teasing apart this detail of the limitations of the current scoring structure. And it's not a failure of the WSL. It's just kind of, we're at the point in the evolution of the sport and the competitive aspect of the sport where we're going to need to make adjustments. The, you know what? Trestles almost, I don't want to say it needs to become an air show, but I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at is that, look, Mick Fanning surfs those waves the way he does every day with or without a jersey on. Mm-hmm. Like that's how he surfs out there. And it's yeah. incredible. It's, it's mind-blowing. He's the best in the world. There's no doubt that he's one of the top three, if not top one. Yeah. Um, and same with Felipe. He goes out there and he rips the crap out of it. He does it in a different way. I'm suggesting, knowing what we know, that those guys are going to go out there and do that same maneuver, do surf the wave the same way, with or without a jersey, we need to see more from them. Yeah. And um, it brings more subjectivity into it, quite frankly, the, what I'm suggesting. But you know what, Mick? You need to go out there and do an aerial on the first turn. Yeah. And you know what, Felipe? You need to do something different, whatever that is. You yeah, know? he's pretty well rounded out there. I mean, he's doing insane carves too. But I, I get your point. I'm not yeah, it's just it's just too predictable. It's not quite. <laughs> um, it's not must watch TV at some point. Well, I will say that all those things being considered, I think Mick is the best at executing his style of surfing. Felipe is very confident and very good at his style, but there becomes times he's not as consistent as Mick, and he got flustered against Adriano and it ended up catching knee-high waves, surfing for a score. So it's kind of not his best potential. On the other hand, Mick exceeds his potential every heat. You know, he goes out there, we know how well he can surf. He waits for a set wave and then surfs it better than we saw him surf it in the heat prior. And that's why Mick Fanning won that event. You know, he is the absolute best at what he does or the best at just doing his version of what he does. Now, additionally, this article that I was speaking of, you know, they're they're kind of saying that Mick's, Mick's style of surfing isn't the most difficult and therefore... He shouldn't necessarily win. What I'm going to say is that difficulty isn't the end-all factor in our judging criteria. It's one factor, you know, but their speed, power, and flow is a different point of contention. So I think that what Mick is amazing at is there's kind of a simple element in surfing that we can hearken back to the original wave riders that is just grace and poise and maybe style we can throw in there, but... 
It's not, you know, it's not just style. And I think Mick embodies that. He he has a lot of the aggression and the precision that we want out of modern, modern surfing in a speed. But he also has that grace and poise that is a remnant of the original wave riders. And so when we watch Mick, it's like undeniable that he is the best currently, you know? Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because... Really, what we're saying is, I mean, are, are we suggesting that that Mick should not have won that event? Of course not. He absolutely killed it. And he does such a good job of, of laying down the track that he lays down that, look, quite frankly, there's only a few guys that can do what he does. You know, there's Joel, there's the top five or right. whatever. And so for us to sit back in the chairs and go, oh, well, he's boring. At some point, maybe we need to kind of excavate exactly what he's doing and ask ourselves if it's so boring how come you're not doing it right you know monday monday morning quarterback guy yeah you know and because we we do need to give him credit what what it is is that we're we're a little bit jaded or we've seen too much of it it doesn't mean that it's not difficult or that what he's doing doesn't deserve the highest praise because it does maybe it's us not him yeah i personally don't find it boring you know that's my contention with this article is like for the reasons that i just stated i find his surfing engaging and fascinating and beautiful to watch like i'm excited to see mick stand up now compare and contrast that with the other guy in the final which is adriana de souza and I will restate a point that I made when they surfed together. I think it was at Bell's in the final, which is you look at their point totals and they're really similar and they look like they're basically equivalent surfers with Mick getting the slight nod. But when you actually watch them on waves, Mick is light years superior to Adriano. You know, the, the score totals kind of flush out as equal, but just watching it, Mick is so much more precise so much more graceful, so much more everything that I want to be and that I want to see that there's almost, it's a shame that you look at their, they both have 15 point totals. It's like, what? Mick dominated that heat, you know? It comes down to that, to the scoring system of zero and one. Yeah, it does. And you, you get a zero if you don't want your son to surf like that guy. And you get a one if you do surf, do want your son to surf like that guy. Yep. Zero and a one. Yep. Speaking of scoring. Yep. I talked um, to another friend of mine. And um, there's this, you know how when you, when you watch political debates, they have real-time monitoring and scoring of, of how the viewing public is judging the person that's that's talking the politician that's talking you can see it right there does the crowd agree or not agree i don't know how exactly they do it there must yeah, me be a, either. there must be a um there's like a dial i okay. think what if in pro surfing we the judges had a dial and so as you and i end user watchers of the thing we could see the score right away hmm. based on the judges have a dial hmm. so imagine you've got a dial in your hand you're a judge it goes from 1 to 10 and guy takes off on a killer wave at trestles does a super killer bottom turn off the lip. Off, you, you know, you move in the dial to seven. Then he kind of gags his rail on a cutback. You move it back to five. Something insane happens at the end, an aerial and you move it to nine and the ride's over. You got a nine. And I'm just wondering if, if real time scoring as an end user excites you, first of all. Yeah. And, um, 
And wouldn't it be great to not have any of this lag time right. to see the... And, of course, competitors would enjoy that, too. And this guy um, has been doing this um, judging with... I think they've been testing it with some stuff. But the company that does it, it's called, like, ISXscoring.com. Okay. It's like, it's like instant scoring dot com or something but anyway they have this technology and they've proven it and they've tested it and they've done subjective judging where they've had judges immediately give their response and they've had judges think about it and give their response and then they've had judges take a lot of time and give their response and it's always very very close within you know like it's it's negligible the difference so that the real-time scoring makes sense if it's negligible let's just go with real-time scoring right Interesting. Yeah. I. You know what I want to know? Judges um, with dials in their hands. Right. I don't know. I've never asked this question, but maybe you know the answer. Do the judges know what score the surfer needs before they score a wave? I think they do, and they should not. They should definitely not. Because there's been pivotal heats like Ian Crane versus Felipe in this event, where it's like, Felipe needs a 7-5, we watch the wave. There's two or three minutes of downtime. We're waiting for the judges. If the judges, you know, like th- this hugely matters whether or not they know if Felipe needs a score because we all have favorite surfers. They like Felipe or they don't like Felipe. And that's going to dictate whether they give it a 7.51 or a 7.49, you know? So um, I think that, I-, I guess you're right. They probably do know because they can hear the beach announcer. Saying we're waiting yeah. for a score to drop. Yeah. If he gets a seven five, he wins the heat. So they yeah. definitely know. Yeah. But they definitely should not. They know. definitely should not. That would, know. That's a huge factor. Now you mentioned Ian Crane. He scored a thirty in a surf contest that was <laughs> happening at the exact same time as the WSL's event at Trestles. After he lost the Trestles, he flew to Wales. And guess who ran that event? Who? Red Bull. And oh, guess man. who hates the WSL and vice versa? Red, Red Bull. Bull. And if you think this was a coincidence, you're sorely mistaken. Ian Crane scored 30 points, quite a number of points more than you could ever score in a WSL event, 10 points more, right, if you got a perfect 20. so But that 30 was for one wave. One wave, he got a yeah, 30. So yeah. my question to you is, on a mainstream eyeballs level, who won the power of the surf contest that week? Was the WSL the winner or was Surf Snowdonia's Red Bull event where they crowned, where they said world champion surfers have, you know, like you can tell that Red Bull like planned this whole thing. It was like, you know what? Screw the WSL. We're going to go to Surf Snowdonia, have an international event. And oh, by the way, we're going to get tons of eyeballs instantly because we're Red Bull and we know how to do this. Do you think that who's your winner here? I Based on what you saw in the, in the mainstream news. Uh, I or your gut feeling? Yeah, no, my gut feeling is Trestles probably got more viewers. I would think because I didn't see not viewers, but more international eyeballs, more yeah, mainstream appeal. I, appeal, I don't know, but more. in terms of literal eyeballs, I would think that the WSL. You have a really good point, and I think that Red Bull, you know, that might be their strategy and tactic, and they're trying to thwart the WSL and wrench some of the eyeballs into their own court. But I don't know if they succeeded at it or not. I didn't see a lot of this in the mainstream media. I saw some of it through the surf media. Yeah. I, I have a Google news alert for surf, you know, and yeah. it, it definitely came up, but yeah. so did the WSL's thing. Yeah. I don't know. Did you watch any of the waves in the surf Snowdonia? I did. And, and it sort of speaks to what we were talking about, about trestles is that it's awfully predictable, quite boring. It's so boring. And it's just not that great. It's I not mean, that compelling. They need sharks in that pool. Some of the, yeah, totally. Some of the best small wave, 
the guys who can surf that style of wave the best were there. Jack Freestone, for example. And it still was super boring. Well, it brings up a bigger issue, which is the Olympics, right? Everything's gearing towards the Olympics now. They have the technology. They have... ISA has something like... 97 world surf teams, you know, countries that have surf teams or a surf league or whatever it is. And it's going this way. So does the WSL get in front of this? Do they buy Surf Snowdonia? Do they do they decide that they need to own all of these um, Olympic training, you know, Olympic, uh, you know, yeah. gearing up for the Olympics? What would you call that? Like, you know, each, it's just, there's a lot that the WSL has to kind of scratch their head about. Are they going to let Red Bull own this? And Red Bull, is Red Bull going to own the Olympics if, in fact, surfing ever becomes a part of the Olympics? It's an interesting question for the WSL. And I think the Red Bull v. WSL is going to continue to play out as a, as a match here. Yeah, maybe. I See, here's the thing. In my Snowdonia notes here, some of the final questions I had regarding it is just like, what does this change for surfing. Does this change anything for surfing? Does it certainly doesn't change anything for progressive surfing because the style of wave is just lackluster. It's like watching Piddly Huntington basically. So to me it doesn't change anything and the WSL can say, "Hey, Red Bull have it. This is no different than your Flutog event. You get a bunch of people to hang out along the the side of the pool and wave banners and cheer for their local guys and get drunk while they're watching the event and then they all Instagram it and Red Bull gets marketing out of it, but it doesn't mean right, anything to the surfer. I guess I'll, I'll say this. Snowboarding is done in the same sort of element. You know, like you go down a mountain, you ride a half pipe, it's generally the same. Um, skateboarding is done in basically the same element. That You know, the physical attributes of the skate park are pretty much the same wherever they are. And now we have that for surfing, you could argue, with Surf mm-hmm. Snowdonia. You basically have a skate park. Yeah. Um, so is skateboarding and snowboarding successful enough? And certainly snowboarding's in the Olympics already. Um, not for the core surfer like you and I, but for the mainstream world, is Surf Snowdonia enough to go, you know what, we don't care if we don't please Scott and David and the rest of the hardcore surfers from Southern California. What we do care is that we're getting millions of worldwide eyeballs and we're opening surf Snowdonias around the globe and the number of surfers at these things is through the roof, just like skate parks or snowboard mountains. And we're going to the Olympics with this and proof positive, we've got 30 million brand new eyeballs. Um, granted, the 15 million of the hardcore guys aren't watching because they don't care. Let them have the WSL. But we now own the world space that is called surf contests. Here's the only hiccup or caveat to that is in the surf or in the uh, snowboard and skate example, those fans can watch the best skating and snowboarding in the world at those events. In the surf example, that's not what they're watching. If you could bring Chopu to surf Snowdonia or pipeline to surf Snowdonia and the fans get to watch the best surfing at the most death-defying waves, then yes, it's a real threat. But if they're going to watch knee-high guys doing little air reverses and they're weak air reverses too, it's just like the fans aren't that excited about it. Well, I would say this. Um, you know, you, you're arguing that you're not seeing the most exciting snowboarding or that you are seeing the most exciting snowboarding and that that they're basically snowboarding at the Chopu. They could bring the gnarliest ramps 
to the Olympics and to But there's certainly the more extreme snowboarding that's not viable in the Olympic arena, like some of the crazy backcountry stuff or sure. some you know, the the world extreme snowboarding championships where they're you know, they're going down these insane chutes in Chaminade or where the hell they are. For and snowboarding, so, yeah, not for skating though. Right. So for snowboarding, you're your argument's semi-valid, but it doesn't hold an, enough water because I could say, hey, they didn't bring Chopu to snowboarding because there's this other extreme snowboarding thing, just like there's this other extreme surfing thing. So surf Snowdonia and what you see at a, a snowboard park is basically the same. It's world-class competition, world-class athletes. Yeah, it's not Chopu, and yeah, it's not Chaminade, you know, steep little veins of powder. Yeah. But now the skateboard... Uh, analogy sort of does work right yeah. like that's it you know like yeah. you've got Danny Way although they've gotten bigger and gnarlier with these super mega ramps and stuff yeah. but they can still bring that anywhere yeah when you're hiring for a small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs your time and capital are precious and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply yeah see yeah i mean i I guess there's there's a spectrum surfing on the one end skating on the other and snowboarding kind of in the middle you know the extreme version of surfing though for me like doing the super backcountry snowboard analogy for surfing would be like uh big wave toe in surfing or something that would be the equivalent to the back country, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a lot of variables. I don't think Red Bull's going to wrench power from the WSL in a wave pool. That's the end thought on that. Um, just for the record though, the way that that contest was scored and how Ian Crane got 30 points for a single wave was it was man on man heats, the best of five waves. And, um, there was three judges scoring each wave 10 points, and they add up those points. So if all three judges scored a wave 10, then the score for that wave was 30, which, by the way, it wasn't. I think it was 29.9. Right. But on that wave, I watched that wave. It's like Ian does a snap, another snap, and then barely an air reverse, and that's the (laughs) 20.9. It's like I've seen Ian surf better waves than that at T Street when it's knee high, you know? That's too bad. It's a little, like, as the viewer, when you see the headline, oh, the best wave of the event, you go watch it, and it's like, really? That was the best wave? 
They need sharks in Surf Snow, don't they? They do, for sure. Speaking of sharks, actually. Uh, Real quickly, Albie Layer won the event over Billy Stearman. Okay. Shark attack selfie. Talk to me. I know you saw this. This was gnarly. Why don't you describe this for the audience? I'm sure everyone saw it, but it's just, it's mind-blowing. 29-year-old man. uh, 27, I have. 27-year-old. Braxton um, Roca? Yeah. Uh, John Braxton is what I had. Okay. Uh, Whatever. Yeah. Hawaiian dude got bitten on the leg while spearfishing by what is believed to be a 13-foot tiger shark. Following the attack, he was taken via pickup truck uh, to meet the medics and then airlifted to a hospital. And while he was in the back of the pickup truck laid out, he pulls out his phone, points it at his face and says, oh, man, I just got attacked by a shark, and then pans the phone down to his leg right above the knee, which is just shredded basically in half, like this giant gaping hatchet wound to his leg that you can see to the bone and almost to the back of his knee gnarly just so graphic so graphic just something out of a horror movie like the blood and meat and flesh that's just laid out and splayed out for you to watch and look at it's it's insane so insane and then he pans the camera back to his smiling face like not really smiling i can't even believe he's i i would have been in shock i would not even i would have been done like i would have been white done Call, yeah. call. I would have been done. I've got to give him props for just keeping his shit together to Crazy. turn on his phone and to think to Instagram it. You know? I mean, like, so, what do you think, think about that? Hey, what, what, th- is that like have we reached a new level of vanity? Like, are you pro shark attack selfie? Or yes, I am actually. <laughs> to, to think that his mom was at home scrolling Instagram and is like, "Holy shit!" This just got updated thirty seconds ago. My son's on his way to the hospital. Like, that's how that's how instantaneous it is. You know. I wonder how many. Likes he got or followers must well, went through the roof. Probably a ton, but Instagram deleted it. I think like people flagged it and it got deleted. So I noticed today he re-uploaded the same video. Nice, yeah. So way Braxton. to way to work around him. He the also gnarly put it on part YouTube. is he swams like sixty yards back to shore. I didn't read that. Yeah, so he got attacked and he swam back to shore. With the blood leg. loss alone, I would have passed out from the blood loss, dude. And the tiger shark circling you. With, I mean, have you ever got? A- did you see the photo of the blood pool? No. I don't maybe it wasn't him, but I saw a photo. It couldn't have been him because the guy who took the photo would have rescued him, so it's probably okay. it was probably a fake photo. Well, all I know is I've got a fin cut before and just paddling with my foot in the water, feeling the flap of skin dangling in Passing the water. Out, just going into yeah, shock. That little flap just patting against <laughs> the rest of your foot is just like ugh, oh yeah, the most cringe like Passing oh, it's out, the worst. screaming for help. So to think that your your skin is being peeled back as if you have like cut off your jeans into cut off shorts. Oh my god. Like that's what his leg looked like. Cut the off largest flapper ever. Oh, <laughs> the worst. That is heavy. So heavy. So I'll post that video. Uh, he did upload it to YouTube as well. So I got the YouTube version if anybody's crazy enough to want to watch that. So I want to talk about my wo- my women's fantasy surf. Team. I was so freaking shocked, dude. And I love that you're owning up to it. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? Scott's women's fantasy surf team. Apparently, he stopped hating on women's surfing. Well, I picked a fantasy surf team. Um, I went to because I thought they're like, women's starts tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, that must mean the men's are going to start too. So I went to pick my men's team, but they don't start for two weeks. Right. So... I'm I'm like, you know what, just for shits and giggles, I'm going to I'm going to do this cuz David will get a kick out of it, right? 
So I pick my team and it's like, whatever. And then I realize I'm looking at it, you know, and I'm like, God, there's some cute girls on this thing. Like there's like glamour photos. Seriously. And, and, and then there's like just the normal athlete, you know, athletica chick photos where they're in their wetsuits or their hair's wet and they don't give a shit about like glamour shots. Right. Right. So I said to myself, I'm going to pick my team solely based on which of these photos make the girls look the most appealing to me. Like if I was to go on a date with one of these girls, which ones would I pick? Mm. So I picked my team based solely on their knowing. I know who some of them are. I know that some of the pictures make them look better than they are perhaps in real real life. But I picked my fantasy women's surf team for Cascai in Portugal based solely on their Gla- the the most appealing glamour shot, dare I say, hottest, the glamour shot on the fantasy surfer site, and I think I ended up picking Sally Fitzgibbons, uh, Coco Ho, Laura Enover, um, Malia Manuel. Manuel, is that it? Or is that- Sage Erickson and Sage Erickson? Those are the girls that it looks to me like they had a professional take like glamour photos, you know, for their husband or something for like a anniversary <laughs> present yeah. or something yeah, yeah you know like they look dolled to the hilt they're totally dolled up made up laura enover's got this come hither look like she's like laura's got the best shot. she's got a photo on there that looks like hey call me for a date please you know <laughs> so anyway i know these girls are great athletes i know they're great surfers i'm just saying that i've picked my team based solely on and basically, the contrast between the athletic photos of, of the girls just with wet hair after at wet hair after a heat in their wetsuit and their sunglasses on, the contrast between those and the glamour shots is so great that you can see how somebody such as myself might get caught up in this and pick solely based on the appealing photos. Your thoughts? Well, I remember, I mean, the mics were off. It was off air. But I remember you telling me this exact same thing as to why you picked Julian Wilson <laughs> and Kelly Slater for your men's uh, team. You got me. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the no same. I'm losing. A real, the same amount of passion and desire <laughs> in your voice. <laughs> um, oh, my God. So, no, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, those girls are amazing athletes, but they're all they're pretty smoking hot too. And you're right, the photos themselves are some of them are glam shots. And um, because I'm not really following it, well, I'm, that's, I have good a shot as any to win this league based on those. No, you don't. Look, I'm the the leader in this. This is clubhouse. my first time sur- doing the women's fantasy surfer against you right. in our clubhouse. Right. And so we shall see how the cards fall. I've got the uber super appealing, super hot team and you've got the team like based on some like hours of statistical analysis exactly yeah no i so we shall see we because shall the see. event starts soon we lay day see. today so no pun intended i've got <laughs> i've got carissa courtney bianca tatiana and then also malia all ugly. so no 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 not two. at all actually how many of them have good glamour shots malia you should not be allowed to have the glamour shot girls those can only be my girls no because my team I'm playing for points. Dude. Oh, I'm, you're I'm totally serious. Involved. I got money riding oh on this. this guy I got is so involved. It's uh, hilarious. So, no, welcome to the women's side of the fantasy league, by the way. This is my, like, as soon as, if they take the glamour shots down, I'm out. Hey, you want to talk fantasy real quick, dude? Guess, we are. No, I, we are. We are. <laughs> this but, is true fantasy. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um, in the truest sense of the word. So, I had, for the first time ever, we had somebody win. Both the men and the women's wager in the fantasy clubhouse. Wow! And who was this person? David Scales, Shut buddy. Up. Yeah, you won both. Did you, I won, you won the, the men's money? division, the money in the men's division, 
and the money in the women's division, dude. By the way, thanks for looking at our clubhouse forum because this information is not private and it's been out there for a lot multiple days. Apparently, you don't. You know check what? If anymore. I was the administrator of the Downline Radio Fantasy Surfer thing, I'd be sending out emails to my members, going, "Hey, check it out. Let's talk." <laughs> I have an NFL pool, and I'm the administrator, and I do that. I every week I'm updating people. I'm the commissioner. I let people know what's going on. So, well, if you look in the clubhouse, I think you're dropping the ball, pal. If you look in the clubhouse. You will no, no, see. I didn't get an email from you that said, hey, this is what's happening. Make sure to do this. Make sure to do that. Make Fair sure enough. to pay. Fair enough. How many people do you have in your club? Um, it doesn't matter. It does matter. We no, have 271 no, all around the world. No, because my club, my software allows me to email all of them with one click of a button. Well, you're welcome to take over this clubhouse next year. No, you're doing such a good job. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So we had 271 people in it. Um, there was actually somebody who scored higher than I did, but he didn't uh, wager. So I was the second place. Oh, so you got second. Let's just cut I the, got second, cut but number crowd. one in the wager. By the way, where were you in that pack? Oh, I don't let, know. Let me check. Let me where? Yeah, check. Yeah, you're in fifty. You dropped down to fifty first position. I got bumped up to forty ninth, buddy. Oh my god! One week out of the whole season, he's two places ahead of me. Fourteen points ahead. <laughs> Fourteen <laughs> points. You know what? Wallow in your glory. I'll give you the moment because my super hot female team is going to kick ass. Good luck with that. So, women start in Portugal. Um, by the way, people want to get their wagers in because. I mean, we had our first lay day already, so it might start tomorrow. So as soon as you hear this, if you want to bet on the women, uh, send in the payment. You know how to do it. Everybody knows how to do it, right? PayPal. PayPal. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then there's a Fantasy Surfer tab that tells you how to do it. Ten bucks per event, per division. Bang. Blue Belt Gate. I loved it, dude. Talk to me about loved Blue Belt it. Gate. Uh, Joel and Kelly. Yeah, basically... Kelly Slater and Joel Parkinson are going to get in a no, fist no. fight next time. No, Joel Tudor. Joel Tudor. Kelly Slater and Joel Tudor going to get in a fist fight next time they see each other based on Instagram. By the way, my favorite description of uh, Kelly Slater from Lewis Samuels, who used to do post-surf. I'm sorry, not of Kelly Slater. Favorite description of Joel Tudor from Lewis Sam- Samuels is that um, Joel Tudor is basically longboarding's Kelly Slater if Kelly Slater sucked. Oh, wow. That's what Lewis Samuels has to say about Joel Tudor. Oh, uh, that's not very nice. Not very nice, but funny. Come on. Uh, maybe. All right. I think if you laugh at that, you, there's some little niblet of insecurity that, that's festering. Oh, really? Yeah. You were right. I am very insecure about my <laughs> longboarding abilities. Well, what's humorous about that? Well, uh, I've heard mixed reviews about Joel Tudor, about... Dealing with him and people. Oh, I have thought you meant his surfing. I thought you were. Oh no 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 no! Not his surfing. Oh, I thought this was about his surfing. No, it's just who is Joel Tudor? Oh, Joel who is Tudor Joel? is he's longboarding's Kelly Slater, meaning he's the guy who's won a bunch of world titles. Right. If Kelly Slater sucked, um, I, you think not, the jokes about his surfing? Well, I don't know. Help me out. Like, like, take me through the line, the logic here. Well, I mean, it's a it's a stupid joke. Saying somebody sucks doesn't have a lot of logic to okay, it. Okay, so, oh, so it's just him saying he sucks. Yeah, he's okay. just... Lewis Samuels says everybody sucks. That's right. what his gimmick was okay. in post surf. Right. you know? Okay. It's not like a thinker. Right. Exactly. So, Thank you. Yeah, all right. You did, you did it for me. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> all right. So, no, I mean, Joel Tudor, obviously, is an amazing surfing. He's also an accomplished jujitsu... Um, what is he like? He's a black belt, but he's won a bunch of championships. I don't know which. Yeah, I don't, I don't know too much either. I know that he's won some big 
you know, world events or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's definitely an accomplished jiu Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And so what Joel basically saw Kelly with a blue belt on and said, hey, you, you shouldn't be wearing the blue belt because you're not a true blue belt or let something me, like that. Let me give that. you the quote. Yeah. It wasn't even Kelly's Instagram. Somebody else posted an Instagram with Kelly in a gi, you know, posing, and he had a blue belt on. Joel wrote on that person's Instagram, he said, crock of shit this guy's been wearing a blue belt for years in pics and always made excuses when i would call him out on it if he wants the blue belt tell him to go sign up and put in the work like everybody else who starts at white and then goes through hell to graduate to blue anybody on here talking crap to me more than likely doesn't train and has zero clue about jujitsu that was Joel Tudor's response well now and i heard i didn't get too involved in this but i i understood that um and maybe help me out here but was Joel kidding? Like, I heard some of the stuff that I read was that maybe Joel and Kelly are such good friends that this was a sarcasm. Like I the, don't know about that. Yeah, I don't either. I'm not sure how this plays out. I don't know. Um, it doesn't seem like a joke. No, it didn't It didn't read like one. No. And then Pat Tenori, who's um, founder of Ruka, commented as well on there. And he goes, love this. Joel is officially the commissioner of the Jiu-Jitsu Police Crybaby Club. Listen, Grumpy Smurf, when you call out Kelly like this, you're basically calling out the Mendez brothers and their integrity. There's Those are the guys that own the gym that Kelly was at. Um, you call out them and their integrity on who can wear a blue belt or not in their academy. As far as I can see, it wasn't a rainbow belt, and blue belts do exist, and Kelly is deemed worthy to represent. Go do yoga. Calm down. Love you, Joel. We all do, but chill. Don't be a hater. Wow. So he didn't take it as sarcasm, did he? No. A lot of the, a lot of the people kind of whose names you know came to Kelly's defense, basically. Right. And then Kelly finally chimed in at some point. Oh, he did. He did, and he just said, I didn't have a belt, and that's all they had handy. Chill out. <laughs> like he went in there and they just loaned him a gi and a belt, you know? <laughs> Wow. So I love, <laughs> I gotta love Kelly. So is there any response from Joel after all no, this? Or? I didn't see anything from Joel. But I mean, that's, what's the real deal with Joel? I mean, you're a San Diego guy. I saw him surfing actually the other day. I've never once interacted with him, but I have heard and read articles on the internet of people who have dealt with him in business and been, they claim to have been screwed. And, um, well, look, Joel's my friend. I've known him since he was, you know, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go on the air and talk crap about Joel. I have nothing but the highest regard for Joel. You do? Yeah. And for his family. You know, um, these people, I'm pretty damn close with them. Yeah. You know? And so um, this, now this, this is sort of typical of Joel. Look, he's been one that, you know, he's he, he's opinionated and he will um, give you his opinion and he will back his opinion up, you know? Okay. And that's nothing new. I'm not shedding any new light here about Joel. So that, um, but that's- I'm definitely not going to. First of all, I don't even know what this is about. I think this is, I personally find this kind of amusing that Joel's up in arms about it and that Kelly responded the way. I think it's, it's kind of fodder and it's, it's water under the bridge. I'm sure nobody gives a crap anymore about this. I don't know. But, um, I'm definitely not going to talk shit on Joel because he's, I'm pretty close with him yeah. and his family, all of his family. So, yeah. No, and I'm not asking you to. Um, but I think that, like, Joel's opinionated, and he gets. That's, his, that's but, what but I like I said. Yeah. That's not you know, that's not like breaking news. Everybody's right. known that about Joel for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. I found it interesting seeing two of our sports icons going at each other. I think the Joel Tudor documentary would be an interesting one. Very interesting. 
Really? Because is there there's the a lot of sh- yeah, there's a lot of shit that happened to Joel in Hawaii when he was young before he was jujitsu guy. He caught a lot of shit. There was a lot of Howley Hawaii shit, well, especially in Makaha. That's on the one west of the side. things. That's one of the things I read about why he got into jujitsu. One of the comments was about Danny Fuller picking on him and putting him in a headlock, and he got freaked out and he weighed a hundred. You know, Joel's a skinny dude. He weighed one hundred and forty pounds or whatever. So he ended up taking up jujitsu just as self defense, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. You got any stories? That's about what the conflict would be yeah. about, you know. Interesting. Yeah. One huge thing that happened um since we actually it happened prior to our last show but we didn't get a chance to talk about it was Quicksilver filing chapter 11 I know. bankruptcy. I know. I ate crap. I had some Quicksilver stock. <laughs> Did you have any Quicksilver stock? No, you tried to tell me to buy it. I bought it. I bought it at 60 cents and um I kept like going for like a month it was 45 cents. I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's I know they're going to sell Target. They're going to sell DC to Target or something, or they're going to sell Roxy to Walmart or something. Something's bound to happen where the stock's going to jump to like a buck ten, and I'm going to get out. And it never did. And I ate shit. So, I didn't. I didn't lose that much. I lost so what happens? Thousand bucks or something. Yeah. So what happens with your uh, stock? I think it's just done. I don't really know. I mean, I, I actually got a thing in the mail a couple of days ago about it. I haven't opened it, but I think that when its company goes bankrupt. They freeze all the assets and stocks an asset, and it basically just it just it's worthless. Got it. It becomes worthless. I so, think. for the record, um, for listeners, the company will go will basically undergo reorganization in various forms, which will include reduction of the eight hundred million dollar debt via financial partner now that they partnered with, which is Oak Tree Capital Management. Um, and they're going to be converting the pre-bankruptcy debt holdings to become a major majority shareholder um, and then um, basically sever distribution ties with discounters like Costco. And they're going to decrease the number of flagship store count. Like there won't be as many Quicksilver stores anymore. In the age of e-commerce, obviously, you don't really need that so much because that's a big liability. Um, Oak Tree, we know their name because they are the private equity firm that bailed out Billabong a while ago. And they have like a 19% stake in that company. You know what? I now. would not be surprised that in um, you know as little as two years, we're talking about Quicksilver as a viable surf company again. Based on this restructuring, like yeah, they will. Based on their, like they're like, get rid of distribution, get rid of any of the BS with Costco and Walmart. If we're to become core again, yeah. we are only going to service the specialty retail outlets, that being, you know, surf shops and specialty retail. Right. You know, the buyers that go to um, Surf Expo and all that. Right. And we're only going to service that and we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of circle the wagons and we're going to, you know, hand select and, and curate our marketing really effectively to the core audience. And we're going to get super hot young kids like Kanoi Garashi and we're going to keep a couple of core guys. We're going to pin our hopes on them. We're going to market the crap out of them. And we're going to rebuild this thing the way Quicksilver. Quicksilver doesn't have to go away. Right. And I think that, that I would not be surprised. Maybe it's a long shot. But if we speak positively about Quicksilver as a core brand. Yeah. Interesting. That might happen. They. I'm still going to lose my ass on the stock. I will never get that back. I'm just. Right. I just think that that's got to be a. Is it Oak Tree or Oakmont? Yeah, Oak Tree. I think that's their. I think that's what they've done with Billabong, or they're trying to do. Sure. It's a long process. It's either that or or they just license the shit out of the name, which has got some value, like you know, Quicksilver soap. Doesn't doesn't seem to be. Yeah, I don't think they would get rid of. You know, worry about like these. 
distribution chains like Costco, these discount distribution chains, if, if that yeah. was their idea. No, exactly. And for the record, um, this only applies to the U.S. subsidiaries. Um, your Quicksilver Europe and Asia Pacific are all solvent, legit, and in good standing. So I thought they were all sort of one and the same. So those no. are those are different businesses yep. are they're under the they're not under the umbrella of Quicksilver USA I guess I guess not the way that they were able to do this only Quicksilver USA chaptered the or filed the chapter 11 wow that's interesting yeah so there you go well that that even speaks more to what I was saying right because yeah, they're probably going exactly. hey we're viable yeah. we're core all you got to do is get your shit together and stop selling to Costco and don't forget who you are exactly you know stop buying golf club companies and yeah Eliminate a bunch of debt, bring on this equity partner, and then they'll restructure. They fired eighty new. All they their, fired eighty. All employees. their debt became. They, all the debtors became majority stakeholders. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that in terms of business. Um, I have a musty moment. I saw real quickly. I saw a quote that you will appreciate. Yes. You love preaching about surfing's not a sport. Surfing's a an athletic endeavor, which I appreciate. It's not sport in the true sense of the word, in that you don't score your own points, and there's no defense to stop you from scoring your own points. Would you like to hear my quote by 1966 World 66 World Surfing Champion Nat Young? Yes, he said, "Quote: I wish that when they asked us what is surfing, I would have said it's a spiritual activity and not just a sport, because that's what puts us. That's what put us on the wrong track." Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Nat. Man after your own heart, Nat Young. That's Nat and that's that. Nat Young, dude, for um, being the 1966 World Surfing Champion, he's doing really good on a shortboard right now on the World Tour. You know? uh, he's our only hope, North American Nat Young from Santa Cruz. Although, I got a comment on the website. Um, we were mistaken. Chloe Andino's still on tour, too. So we oh, have yeah. two Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two Americans. Okay, so... Chloe and Nat have sort of been joined at the hip because didn't they come on tour at the same time? Right about the same. And Nat yeah, got right rookie of the year. I don't know if it was the same year, but yeah, right about the same time. So those are our two North American hopes, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, we want to, we want, you know, we want them both to do well. But I guess if you were to choose one, I would choose Nat Young based on his performance. You know, he was like in the top oh, yeah. ten his first year. I mean. Nat Young's the, our hope for a world champion right now. And I don't think it's a bad one. I think it's a good one. You know, there's some we, flaws in his game, but. Uh, we both love Nat. Here's the question Who would you rather surf like? Chloe. For sure. Yeah, if you're doing Nat's that. has got the competitiveness. If you're doing that zero to one scale yeah. that you were talking about earlier. No doubt. Yeah, Nat's, Nat's style's a little square. Yeah. It's a little square. Square, predictable, rips the crap out his of it. Backside's a little better than his front side. Yeah. Rips the crap out of him. He does. He's a great surfer. He's just a little, he looks like he's been groomed. Yeah. You know, like he's just, he knows how to score points. Which is funny because of the two, Kaloe's been way more groomed, you know? I don't know about that. I mean, when I say Parsons forever. Yeah, but I'm sure that Nat had a bunch of really good coaching and stuff. It doesn't, I don't think he did. Like he's, he travels by himself. He just, he's more of a baseball fan and like athletic fan. They've both been. They've both been through the competitive ringers yeah, as an true. amateur, and so that you know, yeah, definitely true. What's your must see moment? The Koa Rothman can do at it. That's on Surfline. I don't know if you saw it. Koa Rothman. Yeah, no. Koa Rothman's can do at it from that epic swell a couple about a month ago or whatever, mm-hmm. where he's just getting insane ones. It's it's you know we've all seen that footage, but this is purely Koa just getting insane deep 
mind bending barrels from a different couple of different angles, uh, land angle, you know, water angle, same way of two different angles. And, um, it's, it's pretty inspiring and it's going to make you want to get on a boat. Well, it's funny. That's kind of related to my must see moment. Cause it has some of that footage in it. Um, this just came out last night. Last name first is the production company. It's Koa Smith and Alex Smith's production company. They've made maybe a handful of edits over the last two years. And this one is filmed over the course of two months in Indonesia on nine different islands, but it incorporates that Kandui footage from the swell of the decade. And um, it's freaking unbelievable, dude. This is the best surf video I've seen. Well, there's Julie, some good stuff out there right now. Like yeah, the Habitat. Is, is that Albie uh-huh. Layers thing? Yeah. And there's some other one, too. That And the Philippe Toledo thing. That does Did you premiered. watch that yet? My son went to it last night and said it was mind-blowing. Yeah. He said it was really good. Yeah. It premieres tonight in Newport. There's no Chopu footage of Felipe though. No, there is not. Spinning at the Speed of Sound is Felipe's yeah. movie. From heard, Surfing Magazine cool. produced it. Not a very long movie, right? I don't know. Yeah. So that's doing the rounds in the theater. I think they'll drop it on their website in a week or so. But anyways, this last name first video, it's called um, Spice Island. And that Ken Dewey footage, it has footage from the channel, which is what we always see. Koa like <clears throat> pumping through barrels. Like these massive top to bottom pumps. 100 yard sections. Inside the barrel though. Yeah. Like... Usually inside the barrel, you've got a much shorter range of motion that yeah. you can pump. He's going to the bottom and all the way to the top, like in the thing. <laughs> That's cool. I got to see ridiculous. that. It's ridiculous. And then they also have, uh, of the same exact waves, they also have the beach angle, which is something I never see from that beach. Yeah. And it looks three times bigger from the beach angle. Like yeah, it's, and like below sea level. Yeah. It's yeah. terrifying, actually. Yeah. It's super shallow there. So shallow. Then he has his GoPro angle. Uh-oh. And... Koa Smith is the guy that got the Skeleton Bay GoPro right. a year ago that was yeah. like over a minute long barrel. Yeah. This is the best GoPro barrels I've seen since then. Cool. And the water's blue and he's like going through chandeliers, like four chandeliers in a row. It's nuts. Plus they got drone footage. So this video is insane. Their style of editing is one that I would never ever personally do, but they nail it and they make it amazing. Like it's got this electric music, electronica music. Super flashy edits, but they always have smoking hot chicks. Like it's like <laughs> it's it, like going to Vegas. It's like this like chandeliers, set, smoking yeah. hot chicks. It's like the Great Gatsby. It's like it really is like these kind of high speed sex drugs edit, you know, thing. No <laughs> drugs, but uh, but I freaking loved it. It was really really hypnotic is the way to describe the edit. All right, and then my Duke is actually Albie Layer. Um, man, Albie Layer. His main sponsor is Dakine. Nothing against Dakine. I'm sure they're great to him, but he doesn't have like a, a high didge sponsor. And the guy has been on fire for a long time. He charges Jaws. As you just referenced, they put out the latest video in their series. I would have never known that Dakine and he were involved at all. Like I've yeah. never, that's never stuck out in my brain course, the way yeah. that, you know, some other sponsor on some other rider would. Right. So I think it, he's doing a great job of doing, he's out there in the, public's eye but well here's kind or somebody's not doing a good job of me i should know that the kind is his sponsor and i don't he he won the event in snowdonia he just released this episode five of the habitat and i'm giving like his airs are the reason he's my duke like he's doing the most interesting aerials i've seen in a long time he's doing massive like He'll do these um, like shifty kind of boned out airs. Like he'll rotate his board one way 
and then go the opposite way into an alley-oop. It's really weird. Or just do a straight air, but like bone out the tail super far and then shift it back under him and land straight. He does a judo air, which I is... I do those. Like, do you really? Yeah. In what? Fantasyland? Judo. Oh, in judo class. Yeah. Oh, okay. Judo you jump air. and do a little kick? Oh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So judo air, straight air. Grabs the front rail with his left hand and like kicks out a leg. You know, he does the biggest stale fish I've ever seen. It's just unreal. Albie. Albie. John John Slater. That's his Instagram. That is his. Yeah, there you go. By the way, I started following that um, Kook Slams. That's pretty How good. How do you feel about it? I'm pretty good about that. You glad that I recommended <laughs> I that last time? Thank you very much. You are welcome. Yeah. You are welcome. Um, you know what? Uh, the surf auction's coming up Saturday. California Gold Vintage Surf Auction presented by Griff's. Groom like Griff's. Looks like you've been grooming like Griff's. Hashtag groom like Griff. You have been. Thank you. You kind of got um, David, uh, what's that guy's, what was that? <laughs> You're just going <laughs> Waiting for the insult yeah. to land. I know, I'm too old to land the insult. I can't remember the guy's name. David uh, Cassidy. David Cassidy. Ooh. You don't even know. No, but I think that's a compliment because no. chicks liked him back in the yeah, day. Yeah, back in the day they did. <laughs> oh, so I look like the current David Cassidy? No, no. Back in the day, David Cassidy was like that snap-on do you got going. You got like snap-on? Sna- snap-on do. <laughs> don't touch it. Don't touch it. Anyway, California Gold right Vintage now. Surf Auction, right? Yeah. We've got incredible boards. There's going to be a bunch of uh, surf stars and celebrities at the event. It's in Culver City, just a mile east of the ocean in uh, the Culver City Veterans Memorial Building. Saturday, September 26th, doors open at noon. And there's a bunch of silent auction stuff and a bunch of really cool live auction stuff. Not the least of which is that Tom Carroll board right there is sick. The Morning Star? Morning Star shaped by Simon Anderson, a mm. Cole Smith label. Mm. His rookie year on tour in the Pipe Masters riding the board right there. Bang. Tom Carroll. And of course, the Tom Curran, the most famous surfboard in the world. How is that the most famous one? Uh, the Tom Curran, Nick Carroll wrote an article for Surfline, and he titled it The Most Famous Surfboard Ever. And um, so I'll let you read about it on Surfline, and you can find out why it is the most well, famous Well, pitch it to ever. our listeners. Well, Maurice Cole shaped this reverse V, a series of reverse V boards that Tom went on to win the world title on his third world title from trials all the way to world champion. He had to surf through the trials in every single event, and he became the world champion. Riding these reverse V Maurice calls, among other boards. Um, and then that following winter, he took these reverse V boards. And for the first time, he had the sticker. He decided not to put stickers on them. There's a whole story behind that. It wasn't as thought out as that. The boards were just late getting to Hawaii, and they just waxed them up and paddled out. And the surf industry kind of went, oh, my God. But it was just really Tom being Tom and forgetting to put stickers on the board. <laughs> but... Uh, but of course, you know, he went on to win the Haleiwa Pro, his only Hawaiian win on that board. And then a couple of days later, the infamous Tom Survey cutback, which is just that back door. considered, you know, maybe the most iconic surf image ever. So, so that board on the auction block. Where did that board come from? Who had it? Did Tom have it all these years? Uh, Maurice or? Cole. Maurice, Maurice, Maurice had Cole it. had it, yeah. And he's willing to auction it off. It's being, yeah, it's going, he'll be there. Maurice and Tom Curran will be there and um, Nick Carroll's coming into town and okay. a bunch of people. So turns out about six months ago, Scott interviewed Maurice and chatted about that specific board and got the story straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And so I'm going to edit that little snippet of that interview in right after we're done talking here. So if you're interested in that board or just interested in that story or Tom or Maurice, stay tuned. And that'll come on in just a couple minutes here. It could just come on right now. You just put it in here. Right now. Well, let's say goodbye and then we'll come Well, then you say goodbye after you edit it in. Okay. Right? Then edit 
add it, and then we'll come back and That's say goodbye. Thank you. Done. <laughs> okay, until next time, adios and aloha. Do you want to give an email or anything? SurftalkSanDiego at gmail.com. David, hello. hello. SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Go to SurfSplendorPodcast.com to see all the videos and things that we discussed in this show. Link over to the California Surf Auction. Call that, Jack. And or DownTheLineRadio.com. There you go. Where you can get... A much more uh, dorm room floor version of what David's website looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good description. Thank you. Until next time, adios and aloha. Every bone and rivet steel, each cornerstone. Happy belated birthday. I think it extends to that. Of course, the listeners may or may not know, Maurice Cole attached uh, forever to... Uh, the story of Tom Curran. Yeah. And um, maybe you can touch a little bit and, and enlighten us a little bit on your relationship with Tom and where it started and where it went. Wow. The abbreviated version. The abbreviated version. I'm trying to cut... There's a lot I'm, to get to. I'm trying, I'm trying to cut through an hour here. Okay. Uh, it was funny. Tom and I... Tom was in the American team when we went to... When the world, 1980. 80. World titles, France. Yeah. He was a junior. Yeah. Uh, I was in the Open Australian team, so I sort of saw Tom there for the first time. Then fast forward till about 1990, and I can't remember but uh, exactly how it took place, but Tom wanted a gun, an 8.3 gun, and I actually swapped him a guitar. He had this Fender uh, Strat, which was a Japanese copy. Did you play guitar? Yeah, I've oh. played since I was 13. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, I made this gun for Tom, this red and yellow gun, and it was probably one of the first, uh, how long, 26 years ago. So that gun was actually made out of Clark foam and epoxy resin. And Tom surfed that board um, at sunset that year, and Derek Hine got a hold of me and said, that's the best we've ever seen Tom Curran surf in big waves. But I didn't think much of it, and I thought maybe I got done up on the guitar. But then I found out the guitar was in the first hundred guitars made in Japan when they first got the license for Fender and they copied the 61 Strat. Right. And I've had that guitar valued now at a lot, lot of money. Oh, cool. All hand-wound. It's a, it's a gem. It's oh, a, wow. you know, I had some of the best guitarists in the world play it and they go, this is as good as. That's sweet. So it was, that's quite funny. So the next year, there was a day, there was a really big day at Logistic France. 91, this would have been, yeah. I think. Yeah, 91 in February. And it was really big and solid, six to eight foot. No, no one else would go out except me. La Piste. La Piste, which is just south of Capriton. And it's a heavy, right on the beach, like La Gravière. And I went back out there. I was out there surfing. And I'd, I'd call Tom and said, get down here, great surf. And that day, I remember... Um, I was getting, I had this 6'8", 3 inches thick, my all-time favourite board. It's my favourite. When people ask me, what's your favourite board? I've got one board that stands head and shoulders, and I've had more barrels on that board than I, you know, in 10 years. It was every barrel I had in France overhead, I was on this board. Yeah. That's a lot of barrels. Yeah. So I was... break, which was great. Priest it three times. It was was epoxy Clark too, so it was pretty strong. So anyhow, I know that Clark made a um, epoxy blank. So no, EPS blank. No, PU. Just PU a normal, with epoxy a normal resin. yeah, okay. with the epoxy resin. Epoxy resin, resin yeah, right. not an EPS. Anyhow, so the story was that uh, Tom came out on his little six one and and hardly made a wave because it had this big wide tail and you know it was six to eight foot 
two foot deep draining big thick barrels and all the French guys are up the top and I came in and I went wow how good was that and they said man Tom hasn't made a wave yet and I went oh wow anyhow so I was by my car and Tom cruised over and the conversation went something like this um hey um uh look you couldn't uh look do you think I could maybe uh look would would you be able to do me you wouldn't be able to do me a a six nine gun like a shape I, I could get it glassed and sanded and I sort of looked at him and you know in that day and age I don't think anybody else had ever made a board for Tom uh, you know Tom being Tom to having me standing there asking for a surfer and I actually said to him hey Tom I've actually got a surfboard shop do you want me to glass and sand it too oh wow that'd be sort of cool yeah that'd be great <laughs> so I made that board yeah. and it was a little bit chunky and a bit thick but we, he talk, kept talking to me about him. Well, I can remember this so clearly because you, you do, you do remember. Tom. Well, it was a change, a, mo- a moment that changed my life. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. all of a sudden he was trying to convey, I want a little thinner here. It's good, but we need to do this and that. We went and had a pizza on Sunday afternoon. I even, I think he had a margarita. <laughs> <and, nah. laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so I, I went back out on a Sunday afternoon, and not being a very good craftsman, I picked this blank up, and I shaped the board in an hour and a half, which for me was really quick, because I'm not a great craftsman, and in fact, when I re-measured the board later, it's completely asymmetric, it's quarter of an inch difference in the nose, it's quarter of an inch difference in the tail, the width's different, yeah. you know, but what I did was, because I always overshaped this board was sitting inside that blank and all I did was scrape away the foam and when I looked at it I was having little heart palpitations going whoa I think I got exactly what he said so he gets the board the next minute he comes into the factory a couple of times in his wetsuit and he's sanding the fins down yeah he's just tunes them in disappears you know you sure you don't need any help no 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 it's okay he's got sanding dust in his wetsuit and yeah Anyhow, so all of a sudden the board's good. Now I say, okay, so I took that template, and I think that's the, the modern-day template of what FCS called the G, G5. I immediately took the template of what he'd sanded off, and that became my mainstay, yeah, so I ripped it off time. Oh, cool. Yeah. But then he actually called me, and the Santa Cruz contest was coming up. And because he'd lost his seating, because he'd had a year off after he'd won the world title, yeah. he actually... Uh, called me up on the Friday night and said, hey, and I had the board, I was going to copy it. Look, I'll be by in the morning to get that board. I'm going to go to Santa Cruz and go from the trials. And I went, really? Yeah. And then he called me back half an hour later. He says, no, nah, I'm not going. I went, okay. And then the phone rang again. And this went on for a couple of hours. Yes, I'm going, I'm not going. But in the morning, he turned up and uh, he actually grabbed the board and it took him another long story but it took him four days to get to santa cruz he barely got there for his heat he lost his passport everything like that in new york just classic tom. just classic sort of vague tom and you know i can imagine he's not stressed he's yeah. just sitting somewhere and going i guess someone will get me a passport <laughs> whatever <laughs> but then i think he won the santa cruz contest and he, he on that six nine and i just went wow and then he beat Kong in the final and, you know, and there's all these stories. Where's Tom? And Richie Collins had a story. Where's Tom? And he's not... Ah, oh, he hasn't made his heat. And then all of a sudden he hears, Tom Gunn, 
what? Where's Tom? He, so he's yeah. paddled off the beach, caught a wave, then Richie's gone down there. So it's just, just sort of this mysterious The time. mystery misto man, and no yeah. one knew that if he was really going to turn up because no one had seen him. Yeah. And then he... Then uh, he sort of went, well, I might as well go to Australia. And then he won the Burley contest and he won Bells and, you know, and on this 6-9. So I picked up Tracks magazine uh, a couple, a month later and they said, Tom Curran's just got this Maurice Cole board, this 6-9 and a 6-1. And I went, he's only got two boards. He's going for a world title. So I ended up going to his house and we were talking about some stuff. And I said, hey, is it true you've only got two boards? And yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you, you don't want any other boards. Yeah, could you? So he grabbed a piece of paper and he wrote down 6064697278 and 83 and handed me the piece of paper. And of course, I've nearly had a heart attack. Going, God, he wants a quiver of boards. And he was buying them. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, yeah. you know, good enough. But, uh, anyhow, so anyhow, I... Uh, then he took the paper off me and I went, oh, well, there goes that dream, you know. And he took the paper off me and then he put next to each length by two. He wanted two of each length, you know, and magic boards. Oh, I thought you meant two inches thick. When no, he said, I, I want so two of each. So it's you get somebody going, I want 12 surfboards, let alone Tom Curran. Let alone Tom Curran, and he's paying me wholesale. Right, beautiful. Unbelievable. Yeah. So the, the story was then that... I made him a little 6.0 EPS epoxy one, you know, um, which he won a couple of comps on. There was the 6.4 round tail. There was the 6.9. Where were you getting EPS foam back then? There's a place in France no. that you were sourcing this? <laughs> we were in France at this time. Yeah, right? and I, we'd get a block. Oh, a big block and just hot wire it? I was hot wiring and gluing him up myself. Oh, and, I, and I did, as soon as Tom got on a roll with those boards, I made them for everyone. Right. So I made a lot of EPS epoxy boards a quarter of a century ago. Yeah, right. It, it's not a new technology, Scott. No, 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 no. Well, you know, here in California, Clyde Beatty Jr. was doing a lot of work with us. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, John Bradbury, actually one of the guys that we honored at Sacred Craft right, a long yeah, time, you know, yeah. six years ago or whatever. He was a bit, him and Clyde together built a bunch of them. Yeah, epoxy yeah. boards. Well, I actually, EPS. Well, I did it. I did for two years. I only made EPS epoxy boards. But the problem was that we didn't realize and every time you, you, you put a ding in it, and your board you could barely carry it out of the water yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so there was a lot of downside to it but yeah. I learned a lot you yeah. know, and I was using the first non-toxic epoxies and it was really nice to be able to glass without a mask and yeah. you know but uh, so, so you make these 12 boards for Tom and one of them right turns out to be sort of famous and still no, is that's, famous. The, that's the next year oh that's not even this that's, 12 that's, so Tom wins the world title this is the year that Tom Curran goes trials trials to champion, champion yeah. all on Maurice Coles and then the next well he, he had some Merricks he had some Merricks and I think he had a, a John Pierre Stark he might have had a, a Mark Rabbage but it was funny that year Derek Hind actually documented every heat of Tom's what yeah. the surf was like and what board he rode oh cool and I think he rode my board 60 percent of right. the heats okay yeah so so that was his mainstay right so the next year we did the reverse v okay which that's was, the which board. was the mistake yeah the mistake the famous, turned out the well, most famous as nick carroll calls it a happy mistake yeah and we love those happy mistakes yeah it's yeah. a happy mistake some of the best boards are happy mistakes. uh yeah well I, I, there was a whole bunch of blanks that twisted and bent in the container on the way over and there were these ones that had a lot of deck rocker 
So I took the, the I tried to do a completely flat bottom, but not being a very good craftsman, I actually corrected it and put a V through the front, just put down just before the fins it went dead flat. So that was the idea. The V used to be between the fins, right. and then flat in front. So right. I put the V in the front and flat between the fins, and it had three quarters of an inch more tail lift and an inch more nose lift. And I gave it to Tom as a joke. So, okay, so the V's in front of the fins, it's flat at the fins and back. And completely flat. I've, yeah. I've still got... Oh, plenty of... No, it's a tail rocker. Excuse plenty me. of tail rocker. Right. Yeah, because the blank's actually bent. Right. Yeah. So, into it, yeah. Yeah, so they nearly bent a two inches when you add the nose and tail rocker together. Right. So I'm looking at this thing and they look really cool. Yeah. So I did my work on it and I gave it to Tom. And I remember it was a Friday night. God, a weird memory. Anyhow, um... And then he calls me up and he goes, this board's insane. I went, what? He said, this board's so fast. This board's so much. It's just... And I went, yeah, no, because he's got a really dry sense of humour. A lot of Tom's got one of the best senses of humour you'll ever come across. I went, yeah, 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 okay. Well, come back tomorrow morning. Bring all your boards from last year, which was the magic quiver from yeah. Trials to World Champ. He was there at 7 o'clock in the morning with all the boards in the back. And I went, huh? Are you for real? Yeah. And he went, yeah, yeah. So I had to go through all the blanks and find the ones with the curve and try and copy what I did for Tom. Right. Now, I've still got the first one, but the second one was better. I think it was a bit thicker or something like that. I can't really remember. Yeah. And that was the year that um, everybody came over, and I remember I made 61 boards for pros that year and 59 were magic. It was a quantum leap. Boards went faster. Yeah. Carvia, they went more vertical, yeah. um, and we couldn't work it out why. I had Pat Rawson, Gordon Merchant, and Wayne Lynch in my shaping room, and I put a, a rocker stick on, and I said, it's got nearly an inch more in the nose, an inch in the tail, and this board's faster. Yeah. That's, why? Yeah. And it was by taking the V out between the fins, it took all the resistance out. I've learned now the yeah. hydrodynamic theories. So after that, of course, Hawaii's coming up. And Tom's sort of going, what do you think about a reverse V gun? Yeah? And I went, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Now, Tom was riding 18 and 3 quarters at the time. This shows you how bad a shaper I am. By the time I finished his 7-2 gun off the blank, it came down to 17 and 5 eighths wide. I lost an inch. <laughs> happens. It happens. <laughs> if you find that inch, please send it home. Yeah. Anyhow, so... Um, Tom actually rode that board at a, at a big a place called Bucot. Like he said, it was eight to ten foot, twelve foot lefts. Went this board's insane, and so I made a, a seven eight, and I made an eight three, and I made a whole quiver of boards for him. Pretty simple, yeah. yeah. And uh, of course, there was the Halley Eva contest, and what a lot of people don't know is, you know, the, the no stickers. No, yeah. st- no stickers on the board? Yeah, so... so want to hear the story? Yeah, I do, but just I, want, I just want to clarify. So that, that famous photo of Tom Curran at Holly Eva in the contest, is he in the contest? Or yeah, no, he was in the contest. The, the, the famous cutback was at Backdoor. Oh, okay, that was at Backdoor. That was okay. at Backdoor. But he won the contest on that board he, at Holly Eva. He won Eva. the contest on Holly Eva, but he surfed the 7-8 all through the heats. Right. Okay, so everyone knows that that famous survey Hornbaker photo... Of Tom Curran doing that beautiful, gorgeous cutback at back door is 
one of these reverse Vs. It's not the 7-2. This year when I was in France doing an interview with uh, with one of the magazines... So you thought it was the 7 We thought all it thought it was the 7-2 it was the yellow rail. And right. Tom goes, no, oh, it was the 7-8. And he just told you that this year? This year. And I've gone, hang on, 7-8, 7-8. I've got that board at home. That was my Moondarker board. It ended up being my, my Moondarker board. Right. So that whole story sort of... So you took that board home from Hawaii and wrote it in Spain for in Spain, ten probably years, eight, five eight years. to ten years at Moondarker. Every wave I caught was on that board. Wow, that's seven eight. Cool. Not thinking that the seven. You had no idea that that was the board. No idea. In that roundhouse cut. Twenty five years later, I finally that's find so out cool. that it's. And I've got the original at home. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Sounds like didn't you got I, a bunch of cool boards. Did, didn't I sell, just sell that to you for 500 bucks? <laughs> yes, I, I will buy that. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> I think that thing's worth well north of seven or eight or nine thousand yeah. dollars. Probably more. No, I don't even know. Well, obviously that board, uh, we'll find out how much that board's worth this next week, um, weekend at the California Surf Auction on their website. It's thevintageauction.com, by the way. The description for that board is there, and it's um, there's actually no reserve, but it's estimated to go for between $8,000 to $12,000. So if you're in the market for something like that, definitely uh, check that website out. And then the, um, the auction itself is being held in Culver City. So if you're in Southern California, great. If not... You could have a proxy bidder, I think, is what Scott said. Obviously, Scott's involved with the auction, um, curating all the boards and a bunch of other stuff. So check that out if you're interested. Thanks for that conversation, Scott and Maurice. I thought that was a really cool bit of surf history to hear straight from Maurice. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. As you know, you can get all of the information we discussed in today's episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And, um, you know, rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps our show to grow. It helps other people to find it. And, of course, why not just tell friends about it? That's the simplest way to grow our audience. And the faster you grow our audience, the um, more great guests that we can attract to participate in the show. All right? Anyway, this is David Scales. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. But until then, catch a couple waves and shred on. Every soul, the pillow at a window.
modern road where folk announced to your code. 